going to be doing something a little bit different. The title of the message this morning is this, Rejecting Three False Cultural Trends with Timeless Truths. Now, as we approach this topic, I have the graduating students in mind, and I was looking for a book. I am not a psychologist, I'm not a social scientist, and I look at culture and I can only, you know, put in my two cents worth of what's going on in the culture. But there are others who are really uh, adept at this and this is their business and they know what's going on. And so I came across this book. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. It is written by two people, Greg Lukianoff. He is an attorney. Jonathan Haidt, he is a social psychologist and a uh, college professor, a university professor. This is not a Christian book, and these two men that wrote this book are not Christians. So you might be thinking, why in the world is the pastor mentioning this book that is not written by Christians and isn't even a Christian book? Well, because they identify in this book three prevailing trends that our young people are facing in grade school, high school, well, that's part of grade school, and in college and universities. And they address these things, and they bring them out, and they really have a compelling case. And I'll come back to, I'm going to be mentioning their three points as we go through the message today, but I'll be coming to another reason why I would be doing something like this. So what I would like for us to do is jump in, and what I'm going to do is bring out their three points. They have three Three things that they believe that our young people, all of us really, are facing in our culture and society today. They're bringing out these three things. I'm going to mention these three things and then bring a Christian response to them. So our first point this morning is going to be this. My strength and wisdom are in the Lord. My strength and wisdom in the Lord. Now, they, they call their... Three things, the great untruths, the great untruths. So the first untruth is this. It's the untruth of fragility, the untruth of fragility. And this is what our culture is facing. It is this idea that what doesn't kill you will make you weaker. What doesn't kill you will make you weaker. Now, what this means is that in our culture, there is this mindset that anything that is harmful or anything that comes contrary to what I think or I feel that potentially threatens me or makes me uncomfortable or insecure, anything like that should be avoided at all costs. It is an idea of protecting the student from anything that is undermining what they think, they believe, or they feel. So any harmful ideas on college campuses should be rejected or not even allowed to speak their mind. They should be completely avoided. And the people who hold to these uh, positions that are uncomfortable should be silenced. They should not even be allowed to appear. And so they go after, they, they go uh, describing example after example of people who are going to college campuses to speak on popular cultural ideas or that uh, have a certain position. So, for example, they have one, uh, there's the speaker, and she is going to talk on, on uh, women, you know, women's rights and, you know, the, the strength of the woman and all of that. And, uh, 
Um, there was an outcry on the college campus because uh, that is her position and it would make some people feel uncomfortable. And, and so they, there were riots and death threats and all kinds of things to prevent this person even from coming to campus to speak. Um, there's another example on how, uh, well, you know, example after example like this. So they're keeping the people from speaking and not allowing them to come on campus. They're causing these riots and, and so on and so forth. So if somebody holds a different position, they shouldn't be allowed to be there in order to not confront the students. The students should be protected. They should uh, not have to face these things and uh, feel their insecurities and their fears come to the surface. All right, so it is the, the untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. And so they, they have the statement. This is the coddling. I'm just going to call the book The Coddling. So they have the statement, and they say this. We shouldn't be doing this in our culture. We shouldn't be protecting our children from every single thing that's out there. We should be preparing the child for the road, they say, rather than the road for the child. In other words, if you have this jungle out there, instead of paving a road through the jungle and, and allowing an easy crossing of the, the jungle, you should instead prepare the child for the jungle. Prepare the children on how to face the things that they're going to be exposed to, how to respond in the right way. We have a society and a culture today where, we are, where people are running away from their problems. And this is the result of this idea that uh, I shouldn't have to face my fears and my insecurities. Instead, I should be protected from them and I should go away from them when I am confronted with them. And so our children don't know how to face their insecurities. They don't know how to deal with their fears. They do not know how to deal with somebody who has a different position than they do. It is a culture of protection and as a result, our young people are not able to face what's out there in the world today. And so as we encourage our graduate, graduates and as we encourage all of us, there is the idea that we have to be prepared and we have to be able to look at other people even though they have a different position and know how to rightfully and properly deal with them. And also, when we consider being faced with something that makes me insecure or discouraged or afraid, I have to know, as a Christian, how to deal with that. Rather than run, how do I deal with my fears and my insecurities? There are so many things that I can say, but you can see from this first point here, is that when we are confronted with this idea of things that threaten, that we must turn to the Lord as Christians. We have him to turn to. He is our strength, and he is our wisdom. And so, yes, amen. So we consider this, and I want us to look at some verses, obviously. First of all, the Lord is my strength. There is this great passage in Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. And in the context of Psalm 18, there's the, the idea of death. All right, so you look at verse 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Here they are. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 here, but as you go to 4 and so on, it is uh, talking about the pangs of death, how the pangs of death surrounded me. So we're talking about 
Uh, if, if there's any fear, the greatest fear, if there's any greatest fear, it is the fear of death. I mean, we all you know, face that with health issues and accidents and all kinds of things. We are confronted with death in dif- different situations. There's no greater fear in this world. So even in the face of death, we can still turn to the Lord and find our strength. Look at this great verse, Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And so when we are faced with our insecurities and fears and anxieties and worries, we can run to the Lord, He is our strength. Picture yourself as running into a fortress, a castle, and that fortress and that castle is the Lord. And so here you are in the midst of the castle. Its walls surround you and protects you from all of the onslaughts and the attacks of the enemy about. Well, you can picture yourself as standing on the rock. He is my rock. And Jesus is our rock. He is the salvation that comes to us. He gives us the hope of eternal life. He brings the forgiveness of sins. What can man do to me? So we can run to Jesus. He protects us. Another great verse is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And Paul is here talking about uh, times of need where he needed things and times of plenty where the Lord provided for him. And he says, you know, it doesn't matter whether I have a lot or a little, the Lord is always taking care of me. And so this is the great verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so here we are as Christians, we go through this life, we live for him, we trust in him, and he takes care of us. He takes care of us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Lord is with you and he will take care of you, that he is taking care of you, that he will take care of you through everything? Do you believe that? This is our encouragement. This is the hope that we have, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. So do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. He is with you and he will help you. Here's another passage. This is a great passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul had this thorn in the flesh, and he asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn. And the reply from Jesus was this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we might focus on the grace of God being sufficient for us in all times and in all situations. But what I want to focus on is this, that when we are weak, Christ's strength is made perfect within us. So we can rely upon the grace of God being sufficient, but we can also rely upon the strength of God being present with us. He is our strength. And when I am weak, he becomes stronger in and through me. He is my strength. His strength is perfected in my, in, wit, in my weaknesses. Now, as we consider this, as we consider trusting the Lord to be our strength, there is something, I think, that is necessary here. And this is the challenge for us. Whenever we're faced with these fears and these insecurities, these challenges in life, that we must have our faith in God. That we must continue to turn to Him and to look to Him and to trust in Him. Faith is important in this. Now, there's another aspect of this. My, he is my, not only my strength, but he is also my wisdom. He is also my wisdom. When I went to seminary, the president of the seminary, 
uh, he did something that was unusual at a seminary. Uh, usually there is this kind of protective atmosphere. We've got to have everything just right, and we're going to have all of our teaching just right, and we're going to have all of the curriculum just right, and everything's got to be just right in order to protect all of our students. But he had a little bit of a different perspective. And during chapel, he said this. It was an open invitation to anybody in the community. He said, anyone can come and speak in our chapel and address the student body. I mean, it didn't matter if you were a believer or non-believer. He opened it up, uh, especially, you know, during election times. He said, any candidate can come in here. Now, now they're not given the, the chapel message. They're just given a platform to be able to speak. And his thinking was this, and, and this is the part that is, that is right on, that we as Christians need not fear any, any idea that the world has out there. We need not be afraid of it. Why? Because we have the truth of the Word of God. He has revealed to us the truth. It is totally consistent. It is totally right. It is totally true, no matter what circumstance you apply it to. And regardless of the idea or the philosophy, we can address it and respond to it in a way that is God-honoring. And so we can take the ideas of the world, and, and actually this is what the whole um, discipline of apologetics is all about. It is taking the truth and responding to the philosophies and the ideas of the world and the practices of the world in a Christian manner and in a God-honoring manner. And so we need not be afraid. We have the truth of the Word of God. It is the absolute standard by which we can judge what is going on in the world around us. And we should have this engagement with the world. It is part of shining the light of the truth of Christ in this dark world in which we live. So we take the truth and we shine it out there on the light, and we expose the false ideas and ideologies for what they are. We have the truth, and the truth is what sets us free. We look at Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, this is what we're looking for. He is my wisdom, and if I am going to gain the wisdom of God, I must fear him. I must have a relationship with Him. I must come before Him. I must trust in Him. I must trust in His Word. And then I will begin to grow in wisdom. His praise is yours forever. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon me, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And here we are encouraged that by the Spirit of God who lives and resides within us, we have the understanding and the wisdom that we need in order to face the untruths, the ungodly truths of this world. We need not be afraid of them. Rather, we need to build ourselves up on the truth. Another verse, James chapter 1, verse 5, you say, well, you know, pastor, I'm not that smart and I don't know what to do. And here's a good promise. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. No, we don't all have wisdom, but we can go to him who does have wisdom, and by his wisdom, then, we can gain in our understanding of what is happening around us. We are to be awake. We are to be alert. We are to see what is going on and address it with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
The verse does not encourage us to run from the spirits and from the false prophets, but to test them. That means we take the light of the truth of the gospel and we expose the ideas and the things that we're confronted with as being good or not so good. And so let us take that measure, the standard of the word of God in this world in which we live. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Here is another encouragement concerning the word of God because that is the revelation of God that has been given to us. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we find that the word of God is profitable. And if there is something that is absolutely necessary when it comes to wisdom and having wisdom, the wisdom of God in this world, it is knowing the word of God. That is one of the reasons why we spend so much time teaching and preaching the word of God here at our church. It is because there we find the truth that we need to confront the ideas of the world. And so it is necessary for us to continue to get into the Word as much as possible. So we need faith and we need the Word of God as we rely upon God to be our strength and our wisdom. We do not need to protect ourselves from anything, but the Lord is our strength, He is our wisdom, and we can go forth in the world with that. Our second point this morning is this, that my comfort and peace are in the Lord. My comfort and peace are in the Lord. So here's the great untruth that this coddling book uncovers. It is the truth, the untruth of emotional reasoning. The untruth of emotional reasoning. Our culture, our world is saying, always trust your feelings. Always trust your feelings. If it feels right, then do it. If it doesn't feel right, then don't do it. Trust your feelings. Be true to your feelings. If you're feeling a certain way, then that must be true. Trust your feelings. Be true to your feelings. That is what we are being confronted with. And so we have this emotional bandwagon in our society, in our culture today that uh, yanks us in one direction and then yanks us in another direction and we feel bad or we feel good and we just kind of go along the flow of our emotional tide there. But the book says that there is nothing that can harm us like our own thoughts. And while we, it might be presented in a positive way, if it feels right, do it, or be true to your feelings, if, you might, if it's presented in that way, we think, well, it must be right. But there is also a very damaging side to trusting your own feelings because most of the time, people struggle with these kinds of emotions. The emotion of feeling worthless, the emotion of feeling insecure, the emotions of feeling ugly or that something is wrong with me or that we're a failure. And the emotions of those things just kind of swirl within a person over and over and over again and dragging a person down to depression and discouragement. And so what does the world suggest? They suggest a switch to reason. Separate fact from fiction. Don't let your emotions take over your thoughts. Watch what you focus on. Your feelings don't determine your value. Remember that feelings are just feelings. While your feelings are always valid, they shouldn't dictate how you view reality. And so what the world encourages then, knowing that there is a deficiency in trusting in the emotions, they encourage uh, a switch from emotions to reason. 
Now, that might sound pretty reasonable, right? The problem with that, scripturally speaking, is that our, just as our emotions are touched by sin, so is our reasoning touched by sin. And we can focus on a, a bad idea all day long and come out at the wrong end of the spectrum and be feeling terrible about it all at the same time. And so the solution is not to go from emotions to reason. The solution is to turn to the Lord who has the truth. He is the one who enables us to uh, properly align how we feel and properly align how we think. After all, He is the one who created us. He created us with our emotions, and He has created us with our reasoning abilities. Neither one of them should be um, neglected. Both of them, though, need to be redirected towards Him. So we consider the Lord. He is our comfort and our peace. And here are some great verses for us to take, uh, take to heart. We turn to the Lord again as we seek to bring a measure of peace to our heart and a measure of soundness to our minds. We turn to the Lord. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So let us turn to the Lord. Uh, Let us uh, turn when we're emotionally unstable and our mind just seems to be going off the deep end. Let us turn to the Lord who will bring a measure of stability and peace to our hearts and our minds. Notice here, just as a kind of a side note, he comforts us in our tribulations in order that we may be able to comfort others who are in trouble. And there we come again to the exhortation that, that Colin gave to the graduates earlier and that we give to one another here at the church. We are here to comfort one another with the comfort that the Lord has given to us. It is a, an important uh, part, an important reason for the church body coming together. We are here to encourage and to comfort one another with the comfort that the Lord gives. Another thing that we need to do when it comes to our emotions and our thoughts, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We can focus on this next part even though it's all saying the same thing, but here it is, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what happens is when we, are, when we are bombarded with these thoughts and when we, when we are bombarded by these emotions, we have to discern and judge whether or not they are lining up to Christ and to His Word. And if, they not, we, if they're not, we need to bring them into check. We need to stifle them and not allow them to continue to fester in our hearts. We have to bring the truth of Christ to bear on our thoughts, and on our emotions. So don't worry and don't be anxious. Uh, One of the big sections in the book, they talk about how social media has impacted our young people. And they are talking about how you have screen time versus non-screen time. So screen time would involve watching television and uh, looking at social media on your phones and the amount of time that you spend looking at screen time. And they were talking about, especially with teenage girls, the teenage girl group is hardest hit by the social media thing that's going on. And so what, what happens is you go on social media, it's not just teenage girls, but 
it's everybody, but teenage girls especially are hard hit. But all of us, you, you see and you read what everybody else is doing. And what happens is, as you're seeing and reading what everybody else is doing, you are feeling left out. Not only do you feel left out, you feel like, well, I'm, there's something wrong with me or I'm not worth the enough to, to be with them and to engage in this and to experience what they're experiencing. And more than that, there's the, the feeling, apparently, that there is an intentional leaving out of the person. They have intentionally left me out. And when you're confronted with these feelings, you're bombarded by them, it just kind of sinks you lower and lower and lower. It leaves the user feeling of low value and, again, being left out. And so we have to escape from this, and we have to understand that, and I'm not saying don't use social media, but there are dangers in, in engaging in screen time. And, of course, the book encourages non-screen time, like reading books and engaging with other people and going out and doing physical activity. And they, they have a list of things that they uh, encourage people to do instead of spending all of their time in front of screens. But our value is found in God again. We come to Him. He is our comfort. He is our peace. He is our value. We find our value in Him because He has said this about us. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, He says, We are His special people. We are His special people. And so having a relationship with Jesus... Having a relationship with him makes us unique and special to the God of the universe. He created us to have a relationship with him. And so let us not be discouraged by what is going on all around us, but let us face that knowing that we are secure in our relationship with Jesus and that we are special because we belong to him. And so therefore rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Philippians is a great book encouraging us to rejoice over and over again. Several times in that book, it comes towards this place of encouraging or exhorting us to be happy in him, to rejoice in him. What is necessary to find our comfort and peace in the Lord? And it is prayer. It is prayer. So we've seen we need faith. We need the word of God. And we need prayer. There's nothing new here. I mean, these are things that we've been, you know, teaching for centuries since the Lord came. And so let us go on to the last point here. My fellowship is in the Lord. Now, our culture is saying this, and the book unveils this untruth. It says it's the untruth of us versus them. Us versus them. And this is what our society is doing. There is this, life, they, they, there is this perspective that life is a battle between good versus evil. And the good people are the ones who hold to my position, and the evil people are the ones who hold to another position. And they are evil, they are enemies, nothing that they do should be seen, nothing that they say should be heard, they should be shut down for their, and their message silenced in any way possible. They are the enemy. And as a result, there is this fighting that is going on. People do not know how to engage somebody else who holds a different position. And instead, there is this battle that, that happens. So we can't communicate. We are threatened when somebody else shares something that I disagree with. I mean, doesn't, don't, don't we all feel like that? When somebody has another position or another idea that is different than mine, I start to feel all these weird feelings inside. Anger and insecurity and 
resentment and all of these things because they hold a different position than me. Now, I'm not saying that we should join them on their position. I'm saying instead that we should stand up for our position but not be threatened by their position, not run away. And they're not necessarily the enemy either. They might be misguided or just wrong, right? And I'm here to help them and to shed the light on them so that they can just, you know, see the light. You know, that's my purpose. No, I'm, I'm just kidding there. But, but uh, there, there is a, this engagement that we're supposed to have. They're not necessarily the enemy. As a matter of fact, when we come to Scripture, there is a different perspective on who our enemy is. So first of all, our fellowship is with God. Our fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? Fellowship. Fellowship means engagement. It means commitment. It means community. It means communication. It means friendship. It means service or working together. It means giving to one another. It means helping one another, supporting one another. It means interaction. It means empathizing and sympathizing with each other. That's what fellowship is all about. It's when we come together and we encourage one another and hold one another up. And so we look at this verse and we see that it's not primarily people that are the enemy here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so as we disengage ourselves from the people as being the primary enemy, we engage ourselves in a fellowship with the Lord. For there is the true fellowship found. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is where the true fellowship starts. But notice also that fellowship is important between us as people, as believers, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His his Son, cleanses us. From all sins. And here is the gospel. Here is the gospel in this verse. It is that we can fellowship with him and we can fellowship with one another, trusting in the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sins. Because we're not perfect. We, we shouldn't fellowship when we're perfect for it. We should fellowship even in our imperfection, even as we're trusting in Christ. As we fellowship, we will receive the forgiveness of our sins. And then finally, and here's the kicker of them all, our fellowship is with the enemy. What? The enemy? You want me to fellowship with the enemy? Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The world might be treating each other wickedly, But the Christian is not to treat other people wickedly. We are to exemplify the love of Christ and the goodness of Christ and the kindness of Christ all the time. And so we give our enemies food and we give our enemies drink and we trust in Christ to bring the conviction of sin in the heart. And so that is our fellowship here and necessary for having true fellowship is salvation. We cannot do it apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So our strength and wisdom are in the Lord. Our comfort is in the Lord. Our fellowship is in the Lord. We need to have faith. We need to get into the Word of God. We need to pray, and we need to be saved. We need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question that we have left for us this morning is this. Do you believe in Jesus? What is your relationship with Jesus like this morning? 
Are you maybe, a, you claim to be a Christian, but you're so weak in your relationship with him that it's just overcome by the things of the world? Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're here and, and uh, you do have a relationship with him, but it's still tough and it's always going to be tough whenever we're trusting in ourselves and not on him. But, but here we are together. We're to encourage one another towards Jesus Christ, towards God. He is the one who helps us through all the difficulties that we face. And so you graduates, as you go out into the world, you'll be confronted with these ideas and other ideas. Remember to look to him for the truth and responding and reacting to them. Ben, if you come on up, we're going to sing our final song this morning. And if you're here and you have a prayer request or a prayer need, then you can come on up.